0: Sustainable Self-Development Podcast, episode 39, with Adam Ali. So, first of all, why don't you just briefly outline like what you do in your work and how you just got into this stream of work that you're currently
1: putting out on your blog. Yeah, um, so I have this thing where I don't really like doing bios because honestly, like, no one really cares. <laughs> bios is those things where no one really cares. You know, it's like people just want to l- listen to the podcast and it's like, like I know myself, I'm I'm an avid podcast listener and I always skip the bios yeah (laughs) because it's like if i if i if i like what the person has to say i'm gonna go and check out that person's website so i'm just gonna say you know look let's just get right into questions and then if people do want to find out more about me they can just go onto my website and you know read more about me because i know most people probably have already skipped past and they're already into the questions by now
0: sure sure okay so then to give people some context you write about uh, a lot of mindset behind
1: fat loss and, and fitness goals, right? Yeah, so um, like my thing is I like to um, merge sort of the philosophy and the science, so the evidence-based um, side of things, but also not being afraid to t- you know, take into account anecdote and, and experiences in terms of like experimentation um what i've seen work with with clients um and even myself i'm you know i have experiments i like to experiment with different things and different approaches um and a big part of that you know i'm a massive psychology nerd as well so and again the parallels between dieting and um you know that whole sort of mindset thing and then again psychology itself is just it's very connected and i found that the more I researched about psychology and just nerded out on that stuff. And in the training side of things, I found that there was a very close link between some of the things I was saying. And then all I've done is sort of extrapolated that and written about it from, from more of a, um, pe- for people who are looking to learn you know, lose fat, because I said this before several times on my website, on my Facebook page, um, that the psychology of dieting is so much more important than the physiology of dieting. Because you know, we know that if you want to lose weight, you have to eat less and move more, or you know, whatever the case is, just have some sort of energy imbalance. Um, but then, why is obesity still, you know, like becoming the the the, what, the number one killer in the world? You know, it's almost surpassed cancer, I think, if it hasn't already. So it's like, so yeah, sure, it is easy as calories in, calories out, or just eat less, move more. But there's a, there's something that's happening. There's like a disconnect between doing that and actually people sort of executing on that and that's essentially what i'm really interested about and um that's th- that's what i really like to write about because i find it super interesting
0: yeah yeah it's um it's kind of something that i keep thinking about a lot like how is it even possible that people like you and i can even create content on the topic of fat loss when it's in principle it's just so easy like the eat less move more advice that's really all it comes down to And still, like, it keeps on being a massive problem. And what's most interesting that it's not just, you know, in the completely sedentary, obese, you know, population. That's kind of a whole different story because there is a lot of misinformation and stuff like that going on there. Uh, but even amongst, you know, people who are well educated, who are, are into fitness, like real geeks and whatever, who will comment on every single Facebook page dedicated to fitness and ask about the nitty gritty, you know, how to hit the leucine threshold in each meal and whatever. But still, they keep spinning their wheels for months and months on end at a time to finally get to 10%, 12% body fat or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I, I find it's fascinating. So, like from a ten thousand foot view, first, like what are some of the most common things that you see that make people do this, spinning their
1: wheels endlessly? So, just to sort of step back just a tiny bit, um, I think the biggest misconception that the biggest reason is really is that we've given the act of dieting, like, you know, to lose fat, whatever the case is, this, you know, these fancy names like get shredded, diet, fat loss, whatever, get lean, whatever the case is. Like we've, we've sexed it up, you know, for marketing and just to make it sound good. But really, I mean, it's at its core, what we're really doing is just control starvation, you know, and that's what I think a lot of people forget. Um, You know, if you, the body obviously has, a lot of mechanisms where it will defend starvation and that's essentially why we've been able to su- survive for so many years and why we're here today is because we, our body is very capable of handling situations where um, we're in a situation where there's not enough food, famine, whatever the case is and our body's you know, very adept at sort of handling the situations and and allowing us to survive periods of low energy intake so and and that's essentially what we're doing with dieting we're just really controlling starvation and when your calories do get super low and you're super lean you are in a mode of starvation now i'm not talking about starvation mode uh, or metabolic damage or anything i'm just talking about in terms of the literal sense of you know you are eating fewer calories now and your body is reacting in a way where biologically it's trying to get you back to a point where you know making you think about food because it wants you to eat now Making you move less because he needs to conserve energy. Um, so all of these sort of mechanisms is it, at its core is exactly why it's so hard to lose fat. Um, and again, you know, sure, you know, we've got a lot of science now. We understand how we can sort of counteract some of those mechanisms. But again, you know, regardless of what you do, whatever hacks you have, or whatever science you have, research you have, <laughs> the biology is going kind to of biology, and it's and it's going to act the way it's going to act to get you back to where you need to be so that's i think the biggest reason is just that people understand that it's really really hard to 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 firstly just like get to a point where you're able to avoid these mechanisms and obviously there's certain things you can do to stop those popping up but I think that's I think that's a good way to sort of start start off that people just understand that essentially at its core, boy is 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 just starvation
0: yeah yeah and, and of course there's the whole other side of the of this uh, equation where the things that are conducive to like do anything but starve like to overeating and just unlimited amounts of food around us like the environment that's just um, so so not conducive to do controlled starvation right?
1: yeah i mean you know we call it the BC genetic environment for a reason um there's just so much abundance and food around where you know it's and people just don't really understand how many calories there are in food um like i wrote an article a while back on you're eating too much um and i have just really broke down why and how people don't realize how much they're eating. And something that really caught people off guard was just cinema popcorn. Like one large tub of cinema popcorn has like over a thousand calories. Yeah. So it's like, it's so easy to just eat, you know, you're watching a movie. It's so easy to just eat that whole tub of popcorn. And before you know, you've just taken in a thousand calories like that. And then you've got, you know, a lot of the other things that come in, like, with hyper palatable foods that drive us to want to eat more. Um, and it's that's just essentially what it is. It's just that when there's so much food around us and it's so accessible, it's a lot harder for us to put some, you know, sort of things in place where we're not constantly eating so much.
0: Yeah. So, so maybe we can start with that. Like, um, I... I think I saw that you mentioned this in one of your of, of your blog posts that uh, environmental design right like design your environment in a way that is conducive to fat loss so is this is this something that you commonly instruct people on like because sometimes it can be actually very difficult like if you live in a household where you know you don't live alone like it's kind of easier if you just live alone and okay just don't buy the food that is not conducive to your goals but if you live with other people it can be very tricky right
1: yeah, sure. Um, you know, I've had clients, I've friends, family, whoever, you know, I've been in that situation when I was younger, you know, and not everyone's going to be in a situation where they can control what they're bringing into the house. And I think, you know, in a situation like that, what i found to really work, and it doesn't always work, but more often than not, is that just explaining to your family, whoever, that, you know, look, I have this goal right now and I really am serious about losing fat or, Get becoming healthier or this is just my goal right now and it would be awesome if you know we could meet halfway and sort of get to a point where maybe you don't because everyone has some sort of like a, a trigger food um and it doesn't mean that's every single food but it's just something which maybe it's ice cream for some people or a chocolate bar or cheese or you know whatever the case is and i think you just need to meet people halfway and just come to an, uh, a, an understanding that, that this is my goal right now i'm serious about this goal and it would be awesome if you could sort of help me out in this because, you know, not everyone's gonna have everyone gonna live alone, Not everyone's gonna have um, a situation where they can control the environment. And the environment, like you said, has play a massive role in, in everything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so Kind of backtracking to the whole premise that fat loss is easy in terms of, of science and, you know, establishing a calorie deficit, eat enough protein and, and do resistance training so that you keep your muscle. But then when it comes to the adherence issue, then kind of mastering the mindset behind succeeding on your fat loss, uh, goals is, is, I view this as a skill that you need to master over time. So um I thought of like, maybe we could go through some of the most important concepts that people need to master if they want to succeed with fat loss or just in general with their fitness goals. So um we can, uh I mean, I have a couple of stuff uh that I can think of that maybe we can go through one by one, or if you have anything that comes to your mind right away, we can start with that.
1: Yeah, I think the first thing is that people just understand that it's really hard, like you know everyone markets fat loss as like easy fat loss and get shredded and lean in 15 and all this other stuff that gets perpetuated and it's like everyone sees these cover models who are genetically wired to be lean so it's not i'm not saying it's easier for them to get lean but i kind of i'm saying it's it's easier than someone who's not genetically wired to be lean um and then it's easy to see these guys you know abs in six weeks and then everything that you see is very now very like well just do this workout just take these pills just count your macros and calories and it'll be fine but it's not the hunt it's not you know it's not the complete picture and when people start trying to lose fat they they still run into some barriers they run into some you know things and they'll be like this is a lot harder than what i thought it was going to (laughs) be so i think the first thing that people need to understand is that it's not as easy as what everyone makes out to be, and so I call it sort of like um negative thinking <laughs> in that <laughs> you know in in that you think of the worst everything that could possibly go wrong, so you know could you you know have you to have a party coming up that maybe you know you're gonna drink too much you're gonna eat too much is there a chance that you know um you know, whatever, like if you just write a list of everything that you possibly think could go wrong, then what you've done is you've made this intangible thing palpable and automatically you've got a plan of action. So, for example, if you have a party coming up and that's going to be during your fat loss diet, you can work out ways to compensate so that you don't overeat and you don't set yourself back or whatever the case is. Um, You know, so I think it's just that thing of, really thinking about everything that can go wrong so not focusing on everything that can go right because the problem with that is that if you're just constantly thinking about all the stuff that's going to happen when you do lose fat chances are that when something comes up that you hadn't anticipated it's going to throw you off a lot and this is when people go into you know like fuck it mode and just be like i must eat whatever my diet's ruined blah 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 so I think having a plan of action for those times when things can go wrong is gonna help you stay on track um, when that does happen. Um, yeah, that's that's one thing that I think um, is really big.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I guess that that also has to do with uh, kind of just like unrealistic expectations to begin with. So, um, like kind of just, just. I mean, in the beginning, you mentioned that people expect fat loss to be easy. And I mean, this this may sound like a bit of a tangent, but I all the time now with the whole, you know, trend of flexible dieting, which overall, I think is a good trend. But now I see these kind of ads all the time that like, lose fat while eating burgers and cookies and whatever. And it's like, cool, sure, like that's all fine and dandy. But you're, what, what you're forgetting to tell in that advertisement is that if you are going to eat burgers and cookies, that's going to mean that you're going to be hungry as hell for the rest of the day because like you will be blowing off your calories on like really not satiating foods.
1: Yeah, there's also the problem with that is that just like ketogenic dieting isn't for everyone, just like low carb or paleo or veganism or whatever isn't for everyone, Flexible, uh, you know, not flexible dieting per se, but like the bastard child, you know, the IIFYM is not for everyone. Yeah. And the reason is there's two different types of people. So you have moderators, who, people who do very well on diets like IFYM, where they can fit in a chocolate bar, or they can fit in one slice of pizza or, or a slice of cake or a cookie, and they can work that into their macros and they're fine. And then you also have the others, the other population who are restrictors and they actually do much better restricting certain hyper palatable foods because not everyone can have just one Oreo cookie and just stop. Not everyone can have one slice of pizza and just stop. So for those people, they find that they do much better with just restricting some foods and just not having those foods around um, and maybe just limiting exposure. So when they go out or a special occasion, um, A lot of people don't realize that you have two different types of people. You have, you know, moderators who do very well on those diets and you have restrictors who actually need to restrict and have some hard and fast rules that they have to follow. Otherwise, they find it a lot difficult to, you know, to just fit into their macros because they can't do that.
0: Yeah. And... I actually i'm glad that you bring this up because i've heard this uh concept of moderators versus um restrainers i think is the other one uh are you actually like aware of any kind of research on this because i think i've heard of it in a book
1: yeah um, okay. i can't remember the woman there's a woman she's a psychologist and she um pioneered that whole idea um but i haven't got actually i've got the, the the woman's name isn't coming to my mind right now but um yeah, she wrote a book where she spoke about that. And I do have some research in my Evernote, which isn't to hand at the moment actually, that um touches on that same idea. Um but anecdotally as well, I've seen people like I've seen clients who will, you know, try and do macros, or not macros in that sense, but in terms of like fitting in, you know, quote unquote junk food or hyper palatable foods, and they just can't do it because they have to have like the whole pack of Oreos and that stuff. And it's like, so then you have people who, so for them, for that sort for that crowd, I find that just telling them, look, don't have this, don't have that food in your house, just restrict exposure to that. And they seem to do a lot better because they don't have, to, it's not, it's that they get very anxious when those that food's around. Um, and just eliminating that food completely tends to do very well for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and, and it also kind of touches on, and I addressed this a couple of times on my channel, but like what we see in a lot of the people who really rabidly promote flexible dieting on the internet because of, you know, business reasons or or for other reasons. But it also probably has to do with the fact that they are that moderator type of person themselves. So it makes sense to them to tell everybody that, like, look, you can have all these things, just learn moderation, just have that one cookie, you don't have to eat the whole bag?
1: It just, it just comes down to, like, confirmation bias. And it's just like, you know, when you see a powerlifter who has an amazing physique and automatically everyone thinks, that oh, well, powerlifting is a holy grail of aesthetics, and then everyone jumps on powerlifting. And then the people who have the physiques, like the gifted physiques, or the physiques that are tailored to do well in a powerlifting program, they, they will start to, you know get results and then they start to you know um start preaching that oh well you have to do powerlifting you just have to squat bench deadlift you know but then you see other people that um don't get results and they no one hears from them um and it's just the same thing with anything with the same things happening here the people that can fit stuff into their macros or you know fit like junk food and have palatable foods into their macros they're the ones who Innately can do can do that, and then because they get results, they start preaching about it. They get the you know they lose fat on that diet, and then they start to you know preach that they lost fat, and everyone just sees the abs and the fat loss. Everyone's like, yeah, this is the way to do it. But then you have that per- you know then you have the few people who can't do it, and then they think something's wrong with them, when actually it's nothing's wrong with them. It's just that they're just not suited to that style of dieting. Um yeah exactly. so sorry, it's not it's not it's not, it's, a, it's a it's a combination of like uh, the confirmation bias and the survivorship bias um so yeah that's that's and that is exactly what happens a lot i see that happen a lot in the fitness industry
0: yeah yeah i mean it's it's good marketing like like and just as you know with um, intermittent fasting like again i think overall it's a good trend that we uh, taught people that you know you don't necessarily have to eat you know, six meals a day or whatever, you don't necessarily have to eat breakfast and you can still have a good physique. But I I just discussed this with someone actually recently that, you know, I found for myself that I don't do that well without breakfast. Like I can fast, but I feel better if I have something in the morning. But then I watch a video of, um, you know, Greg O'Gallagher or someone on YouTube who is like really promoting intermittent fasting. And that whole lifestyle marketing behind it like he's standing there with his cup of coffee in the morning and he's telling like oh i'm just having black coffee it's so amazing like so appetite suppressing whatever like intermittent fasting is the shit and then i think to myself like oh damn like i should be doing that like i'm missing out on this amazing lifestyle and then you're trying it and it's like shit it's not working for me
1: yeah i mean no it's it's everyone's gonna there's always gonna be a, you know everyone's going to have a shtick. Like there's always going to be something which is going to be sexy at the time and people are going to take advantage of it. Um, So, you know, and that's exactly it. It's like, just because something works for you, it doesn't work for everyone. And it's like, I think the reason why is because like IFYM has been backed by so many, you know, quote unquote, evidence-based people that everyone just thinks, well, you know, science, bro, it can't be wrong. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. But at the same time, you know, it's like, it doesn't work for everyone. Just like paleo won't work for everyone. Veganism won't work for everyone. You know, keto won't work for everyone. People just need to try different diets and find the one that works for them. And when they find that diet that they've really, they've taken a dare to like, just stick to that and just do that because we've got obesity crisis right now, wherever diet helps you stay healthy and maintain a healthy weight. More power to you. I really don't care if it's not optimal or if it is optimal. You know, you have to do what allows you to live your life in a sane way. You know, it's like there's gonna be studies that are gonna say, well, you need to have three to four protein feedings every three to four hours, otherwise you're gonna lose muscle and all this other nonsense and protein synthesis, and that's fine. But I have clients who prefer to have two meals a day and they can actually adhere to that. And because of that reason, not only have they lost weight, not only, you know, have they now gone from being obese to being healthy. I'm not going to say, this, well, bro, look, you have to stop eating two meals a day now because science, that's just silly. Yeah, it
0: it's um, Martin Burkhan put it once uh, in, in a way that I really liked and it kind of resonates with that article that you wrote about the The cookie versus broccoli conundrum, or something like that, where like like basically it's um, you know broccoli um, kind of being a uh, like a metaphor for doing the hard things that will yield results, and the cookie being the the stuff that is rewarding and awesome, but will take you further away from your goals. And kind of, I think everybody's ultimate goal is to find that perfect balance between the broccoli and the cookie, so to speak, where where they progress towards their goals, but it's still kind of that perfect balance between restraint and enjoyment.
1: That's that's exactly it. I mean, you know, it's like, that's essentially what is, what you know, I think Martin Birkin also says something, like he said, you know, the whole point is to get to a point with your physique, with your diet, where you're, 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 you're content and then you have to live the rest of your life. Like, if you're not a competitive bodybuilder or a physique athlete you know get down to a body fat percentage that you're happy with and then just live the rest of your life like have other goals don't just let just your abs or whatever, just take over and you become like neurotic over everything. Like have some other goals outside of fitness and hobbies and stuff.
0: Yes, yes. And that that is exactly right. And so speaking of body fat percentages, like um you you wrote it on your blog various times that you know maintaining 10 to 12% body fat is is completely reasonable for most men. And but but like on the topic of body fat percentages, like what you just said, uh, I think. Many guys can attest to this idea that, you know, you're, they're dieting, they're getting leaner. After some time, they're kind of happy with where their physique is at, but they're still just obsessing over like, what my body fat percentage is? What is my body fat percentage? And they're sending their pictures around and, you know, asking for opinions. Whereas, and, and like, it's funny, people forget to actually just look in the mirror and ask themselves, like, am I happy with how I look? Yes or no? it's it's really funny
1: yeah it's it's, it's strange to me I, i'm you know i'm part of a few facebook groups and this and every now and again someone will post a picture of them and it'll be like hey guys how uh, you know i don't really care but what percentage body fat do you think i am and it's like well no one cares like you know you if you got shredded right now and you had six pack and you looked amazing no one's gonna come up to you and be like yo you look amazing, man. What's your body fat percentage? No one does that. People just say, wow, he looks amazing or she looks amazing. So I think people just need to, you know, just stop like getting so obsessed with what the body fat percentage is, because it's just that no one cares. It doesn't even matter. You know, it's like, who cares if you're 12% body fat, but you look amazing. Actually on that point, um, I had my body fat tested last in 2015, actually when I was doing the keto experiment and, if you, I'll, I'll send you the link to the, um, to the image so you can probably add it to the, to the notes and people can see it. But mm-hmm. if you, if you saw me in that, in that image, I probably looked, i like visually, I actually looked around, you know, nine, nine, ten percent body fat, like between eight to ten percent body fat. Like I, I look pretty lean, but when they did my body fat test, I came to twelve percent body fat, and it was mm-hmm. like, did I, you know, it's like, did I care that I was twelve percent body fat? No, because I looked good and i was happy with the way i looked and that's what matters the only reason i did the, te- the body fat test was because of the fact that i was experimenting and it was for documentation but you know apart from that it was like i didn't really care what my body fat percentage was and um the funny thing is when i posted that everyone there were some people who got so like oh my god no that's a lie the body fat percent like this is wrong because every guy thinks they're leaner than they actually are like no one wants to admit that they're fatter than they think they are like for guys yeah. um and when they saw that, a lot of people were like, "Well, this is wrong. There's no way you're 12% body fat." You know, like I am so much more. I have so much more body fat than you, and I'm only 15%. And it's like, well, that's what the machine told me, man. So like, don't shoot the messenger. But yeah, man, I think people should get be stop being so obsessed with body fat because it's an arbitrary thing which doesn't even make a difference. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I, I guess what people are really looking for in that instance is just if someone is telling you that, like, "Hey, I think you are 10%." That basically the other person is telling you, like. I think you look lean, <laughs> whereas whereas if they tell you like I think you're 16 percent body fat, then basically the person called you fat. So and that's what they care about.
1: Yeah, that's
0: strange. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean that's I I think that's just a byproduct of the internet, and and also like uh, we talked about this not that long ago with someone here that um, now kind of the whole. Uh, era of youtube and these aesthetics people who appear like it, it completely changed the perception of people of like what lean is or athletic is and it's like shifted from that you know like we used to say like okay between 10 to 15 percent body fat is perfectly good for you know bodybuilding and whatever and now it became like eight to ten is really what the range
1: <laughs> have you read um sapiens
0: no, I haven't, actually.
1: So there's a great quote in that book. Um, it's an amazing book, by the way. I, I recommend everyone read it. But um, there's a great quote in that book where the the author, Yuval Harari, he talks about how social media, are, uh, funnily enough, he was talking about the same thing, has sort of made everything so hype. You know, it's, it's made the world so small. And now we don't compare ourselves to other people, like other normal people. We compare ourselves to these you know, celebrities who are all touched up and like the 1%. So now you could be a good looking woman or a good looking guy, but automatically you don't, com- you know, you, he, the, the, um, example he gives is you could be the best looking guy in your class, but because you're not comparing yourself to the other kids in the class, you're comparing yourself to like Brad Pitt or, your favorite, you know, Tom Cruise or your favorite celebrity, you know, whatever uh, Calvin Klein model you're, you know, you're, you're into whatever. So it's the same thing. Like women do the same thing. Like they don't compare, you know, they could be a really attractive, beautiful woman and be in amazing shape, but they're not comparing themselves to the people like actual real people in day-to-day life. They're comparing themselves to celebrities who are, you know, in the 1% anyway, or or supermodels, for example. So it's like, and because of that reason, we're living in this like vicious cycle of just discontentment, because we're, yeah. we we've stopped comparing ourselves. And again, going to your point about the YouTube thing and, and Instagram and Facebook, you keep seeing these one percent people who, by all means and measures, are probably on drugs. You know, and you're you're not. You know, you could be in amazing shape. You could be like the 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 most athletic, best-looking guy in your gym, the most in-shape guy in your gym. But automatically, you're not good enough because you're not comparing yourself to the other guys in your gym. You're comparing yourself to the to the to the photoshopped fitness model on the on the front cover of Men's Health.
0: Yeah, exactly. And like it just brought to mind that like just once, just once, I would really love to see a before-after picture where the lighting is the same. Like it would be so awesome to see that just once. But the the lighting is never the same. It's always the on the after picture, the lighting is so much better. And the reason is because if it was the same, it would just probably not be that impressive. <laughs> so,
1: it's, it's yeah. That's exactly it's, – it's, it's, it's a strange thing because like, you know, we we want to see freaks like we want to see people who are super extraordinary but at the same time that's the same thing that you know we, we derive so much discontentment from so it's, it's just funny to me
0: yeah yeah and um so uh, getting getting back on the topic of like overcoming these uh these hurdles one thing that I would be very curious what you think about this like one thing that I tend to see with with myself it's almost like this cosmic karmic thing that tends to happen that like as soon as you commit to making a big change like okay I'm going to lose fat I'm gonna get ripped and you start off you know with a, a an assertive diet you know you set your everything up so that it's kind of optimal for your progress and all of a sudden it's it's like the world is arranging things that it just throws a whole bunch of randomness at you and all of a sudden like these social events come up these unexpected whatever traveling engagements and whatever and it's uh, it's very paralyzing. It's very scary. Like oh my god! Like my progress is in jeopardy, right? Uh, so what like what do you think about this? Like how do you help people through these things?
1: So I actually wrote about this on the website on my website. Um, I, I actually refer to it as the magnifying glass effect, and mm. the reason I call it that is because people have a propensity to blow everything out of proportion, and they don't look like they zoom into this one thing like oh my god i overate my diet's ruined uh, or like oh my god i haven't gone to the gym for a week my I've, I've lost all my muscle i'm so fat or whatever the case is and it's like no because that one week in the scope of like a whole year is is minuscule it's nothing it's like one day overeating isn't going to do anything in the in the the you know in the grand scheme of 363 days that we have left or whatever, right? It's like, you just get back on your diet the next day and you'll be totally fine. What happens is when people say overeat on their diet and then they're like, okay, fuck it, I've messed up. And then they just overeat for like the whole week or they just go crazy. And now they've gone from overeating by say a thousand calories to overeating by say 7,000 calories. And now we've got a problem. Um, so I think that's one reason that people just like become so inured into like they focus on this one tiny thing and they blow it out of proportion, portion, but they're not, yeah. they're not taking into account the bigger picture, which is the rest of the year, the rest of the month, the rest of the week, even like one day of you overeating isn't going to make much difference if you just jump back onto your diet. Like you just identify that, okay, look, you messed up. Um, and just jump back onto that proverbial dieting horse and you'll be fine. Um, and I think the second thing with that is when, you know, something happens and people get so paralyzed is people try and be perfect with everything. Like I have to hit the perfect macros. I have to go to the gym every single day or, you know, or three times a week or four times a week, whatever their plan says. And it's like no life isn't perfect. Like you're not going to, things are always going to come up and it's just about how you manage that and not freaking out. So it's like, who cares if you went over your macros by 50 grams of carbs or, or 200 calories. It's like, those fluctuations are going to happen. It doesn't matter if you you're on holiday or you're because of your job, you have to travel when you can't get to the gym, just do what you can with what you have right now. And, once you have the opportunity to get back to normal, like once you're back into your routine, just get back into your routine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's scary the, the scale, uh, or the size of the shifts in people's behavior. And I've been guilty of this in the past as well. Like I've gone through some periods, which I'm not very proud of, of like massive overeating. And like when I say massive, we are talking about like thousands of extra calories. Uh, and then, you know, like all of a sudden, you know, just, A few weeks later, I'm finding myself in this completely OCD sort of behavior when I'm like, okay, did I have one cucumber or one and a half cucumber? And it's like, damn it, like I didn't quite stay within my macro range or whatever. And it's like, is it like maybe we should kind of bring these large shifts a little bit closer? (laughs) Like maybe we shouldn't go too much in either extreme. Like it's really scary and it's not uncommon.
1: Yeah. I mean, people do this all the time. Like I've had a client who just messaged me today, actually. And he was like, oh man, I've been away on business and I've just got back and I'm looking watery and I don't look good. And should I do, should I just cut my calories? today? I'm like, no, just, just go back to what your normal dieting calories are and that's it move on. I think what happens is, is when people be- turn, you know, it becomes like this really negative feedback loop. So like what you said, people overeat massively on one day, and then the next day they'll try and slash the calories, or they'll try and do like a 24-hour fast, and it's like they can't. Then they can't handle it, so they end up binging again, and then they feel bad, and then they try and cut the calories the next day. And before you know it, they're like, "Fuck this!" And then they just they've just thrown the diet away because it's just not maintainable. So and then what it becomes it becomes a negative feedback loop, and then once they start to feel, their actions start to be, you know start to mimic the, how they feel. So they start to binge and then restrict and then binge and then restrict. So what you actually need to do is. Again, just say, Look, I messed up, I overate, let me just get back onto my diet tomorrow. Because that way now you're not you're cutting that cycle. You're not going into this restrict binge, restrict binge, you know, episodes. It's just a case of okay, look, I messed up, whatever, let me move on. And then you just get yeah. back onto your normal diet. Yeah, exactly. And and kind of just um like
0: still speaking on the on the theme of of like, um, just just what you expect, like how you plan for these things. Like, initially, I I guess everybody's first occasion of like dieting down to single digit body fat or, you know, 10% or whatever. It's kind of that magical holy grail for most guys at first. It's like, wow, the magical 10%. And it's kind of like, Initially, you don't have, you don't know what to expect. You don't really know what you should expect from your body in terms of like hunger response and all of that stuff. And you also, you have no experience with, uh, if you never tracked your macros, you by definition have no idea what it feels like when you went over your macros, how to deal with that kind of psychological Whatever hurdle that you're going through, so so it's also a matter of just gaining experience over time and becoming, I guess, more resilient to these kind of mess ups and slip ups, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's 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 cliche. By experience, you know, is the greatest teacher. It's gonna, you know, when you fail, or whatever you call it, you're only gonna learn this stuff when you go through it. Like, and it's just one of those things that you can put, you can learn about. You can, I can tell you as a coach who's experienced all of these things and you know, you can be like, okay, cool. I know what to do now, but then it will happen and you and you're going to go and do the, you know, the you're going to mess up and you're going to make the bad decision, whatever the case is. But it's just a case of like being able to acknowledge that you messed up and then being saying, okay, well, I've just done this. and just reflect on it. So what can I do now to stop that from happening again? Or, you know, what caused that to happen? You know so then it's like you can start to really once you start to reflect on all these things you get an idea of what it was because a lot of the times we're just going through our life in like autopilot and then we don't really realize why we did certain things but the minute you sort of stop for a second and you just like say okay i just this happened i fell off my diet or i overate what caused this to happen what can i do in the future to stop this from happening once you start that reflective process and i've found this to help a lot especially my clients like just getting them to actually just write their stuff down but not like, not um, intruding on that process, just getting them to do it. And then it, I found that it actually works very well because now they, they, they've learned how to, it gives them autonomy. So you're not like dictating everything. You're just, you're letting them just say, look, okay. So what could you do next time? I want you to just write this down. We should reflect on what happened. And then what can you do next time? in this scenario, this is what happens. And a lot of times it tends to be a case of people just like, okay, I never even realized that I did that. But if I just switch this around or I did that, you know, that I could prevent all of this from happening. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's self-efficacy, right? It's gaining the belief that you can actually, actually do things. And like that takes, like you first have to experience success and the experience of, I, I can do this on my own. That, that's so important. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, So one one thing I want to ask you is that, you know, we touched on flexible dieting and uh, it's not for everybody and, but it might be appropriate for some people. Like from your perspective, when we look at a sustainable fitness lifestyle where, you know, you're maintaining kind of the body that you want or slowly improving it, uh, but you're not obsessed about it anymore. Like you're not looking to like transform your body overnight or whatever, Um, like like what kind of nutritional and like fitness strategy do you think it is that people should ultimately strive for like first let's just say in terms of nutrition is it flexible dieting or is it learning to eat quote unquote intuitively like in in your view what's kind of the end goal here
1: so i think first i think just with that and i just want to so sort of clarify this because i think we didn't clarify it earlier but I think people misinterpret what flexible dieting actually is. So flexible dieting is basically just a casual term for a diet that's flexible to your needs. So it doesn't mean that if you, if you, if you enjoy a ketogenic diet or if you enjoy a, um, a you know, a high fat, low uh, sorry, a high carb, low fat diet, for example, or a paleo diet, or if you enjoy being vegan or vegetarian, whatever the case is, that's a flexible diet. That is you being flexible with your diet. You know, you're not, um, you're not falling for dogma, and even though you don't want to be in keto, you're doing keto because apparently that's what you think is the way to go. That is when it becomes, you know, inflexible. But if it's a case of I really enjoy ketogenic dieting, or I really enjoy it, if it's your macros, or I really enjoy, it, you know, paleo or Atkins or whatever the case is, then and and it's something that you can adhere to. Then that's flexible dieting. So flexible dieting, isn't this like just fit in junk food or whatever the case is. It's just a case of, it's just a casual term for doing what fits within your lifestyle. And that way it's not, it's not a, it's not, a, it's a, not a diet. It's just, it's just a principle. And then people can take that principle and use that how they want to use it. Yeah. Yeah. And also, also like, um, I just talked about this with
0: Lyle McDonald, not that long ago that, um, flexible flexible dieting is is like yeah like, like you said people associate flexible dieting with ifym but really what it should be is a flexible attitude towards towards fitness as a whole and it's you know and, and and it also includes things like you know you know modifying your strategies when life calls for it like you know managing social events and whatever like it's it's kind of easier to choose the hardcore approach and you know stay at home when there's a social event all the time and isolating yourself, it's easier to progress towards your fitness goals that way because kind of it's less thinking, less decisions that have to be ma- made. But o- over time, I think the ultimate flexibility is when you can automate these decisions and you can make like make them out to be not so much of a big deal.
1: Yeah, and I also think that, and this is like, you know, it's become such a taboo thing these days, but dude everyone who's going to be successful with their fat loss goals is going to need to have some form of discipline, structure, regimentation. Like you need to have, um, you need to have structure within the overarching concept of flexibility, because otherwise if we just have flexibility, it's just anarchy. Like there's just no order. There's just chaos. So you need to have some rules and some regimentation and some structure, but more importantly, you need discipline. To give you an example, I have a client right now who's getting ready for, um, uh, he's, he's got an acting role in a, in a film. Mm-hmm. So he needs to get ready by September. So for someone like that, I've told—I said to him, look, you need to be, we need to put hard and fast rules in place that are going to keep you on track and disciplined for your goal because it's a big goal, you know, it's, it's a big thing and you can't mess it up. And he's like, fine, cool. So yeah, I think yeah. it comes down to you need to have periods of time where you're gonna be disciplined. And if it's if you know, and people always get so like weird if when you say this to them, but it's like you need to have some like no one's achieved anything, and this has been just in dieting, but in life and anything really without discipline, you need to have some form of discipline, some form of even sacrifice. And you know, I know it's become like cliche, the whole sacrifice to win, but. There is some semblance of truth to it. Like you need to sacrifice some things now for the long-term goal. So, and that isn't, I can't tell you what that is. You know, no diet coach or nutrition book can tell you that. You have to make that decision for yourself. Um, but you need to have those rules in place that are going to allow you and also be conducive to your success. Um, and again, I think that fits into the overarching concept of being flexible because you have to understand that flexibility itself on its own, isn't going to work, you know. Um, yeah. Freedom on its own, you know, doesn't work. Otherwise, if you have too much freedom, everything turns into anarchy, is chaos. So you need to have some rules, some you know limitations in place within the overarching concept of freedom and flexibility that are going to help you adhere to your diet to your goals, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's good that you say that because I was just going to ask you like what your views are because uh, there's kind of two camps when it comes to like attitude towards fat loss and one of them says that it should be a sustainable uh, balanced approach where you know you can keep it up for you know you could even potentially keep it up forever if you wanted and the other view is that fat loss is a temporary thing like you you do things which are appropriate in that specific context and you don't have to keep it up for the rest of your life. So it's okay to take very
1: radical measures. I've written about this before in my Facebook page. And it's like I said, look, you can't have sustainability without unsustainability. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you, you need to have a period of time where you're being unsustainable because, dude, no one, a calorie deficit is not sustainable you know yeah. so that is gonna you're gonna have to have periods of unsustainability there's gonna be some periods of time where you're gonna be a bit uncomfortable because you're in a calorie deficit you're losing fat you're a bit hungry um and then only when you get to that point where you've lost that fat can you raise your calories back to maintenance and start becoming sustainable with it but the two aren't you know it's not like we have to be sustainable or you not or you have to be unsustainable those are sort of two very rigid mindsets. I prefer more sort of that point of like, well, they both go hand in hand. You need to have some time of uh, unsustainability and doing things that, you know, are going to be conducive to your goal right now. And it's only after going through some period of unsustainability that you're going to get to a point where you're able to to get to sustainability.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, that brings, brings up um, kind of one thing that I forgot to ask you, but do you tend to see uh, what I tend to see with a lot of people that they struggle with uh, they struggle more so once the diet is over and once they're not cutting and they're coming out of the deficit and then then they fall off the wagon because they don't have that short-term goal to strive for anymore and all of a sudden they lose structure and everything goes out of the window and they undo a lot of you know a lot of progress that they worked several months at sometimes to achieve within weeks. And it's really frustrating, like, do you and then, of course, they end up in that perpetual cutting cycle.
1: So, do, do you see that with people? Oh, sure, like, I've even gone through it recently. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it happens to everyone. I think the worst thing that people do is they set these, they, they it's like we set these arbitrary restraints on ourselves, like, well, I've got so lean now and I have to somehow adhere to this print. No, it's like, dude, life happens, you're gonna go, you know, just. It, there's going to be ebbs and flows of life like you're going to have periods of time where you're going to look awesome and you're going to look good and there's going to be times where maybe you know life comes into play and you're not going to look as good so in that time you're kind of on the defense and you're just doing the best you can to maintain whatever you can and then once you're back in back in a situation or a place where you can you know diet again and 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 lose fat or whatever the case is then you can sort of get back on it and I think that the, the problem is that people become so like no, I just lost fat and now I've messed up. But it's like, if you didn't mess up, it's just, it happens, it's life. It's like, the more you try and blow it out of proportion, like, you know, fall victim to a magnifying glass effect, the worse it's going to be. You have to understand that life moves and ebbs and flows. Like, you have, there's going to be periods of time where you're going to look good and you're going to be lean because life's going well and everything's, you know, there's no stress. But there's there's also times where there's going to be a lot of stress from work, from college, from whatever, study, whatever the case is and you might not look as good and and then you just have to try and do the best you can to maintain that and let other things take the front seat for now
0: yeah i mean it's uh it's uh in the willpower instinct the book talks about this phenomenon where you know people have a hard time believing that self-loathing and you know hating on yourself and just you know like yeah just being super angry at yourself just doesn't work and people have a hard time believing this but you know, I think everybody anecdotally can just look back at on their lives and see that you know how many times times did it work in the past when you were just like beating yourself up over things. Usually, things didn't improve from that. So yeah, that that's a great point.
1: It's a, it's a weird, it that on that point, it's a bit of a strange one because I feel like self loathing is a very is a very negative thing, and obviously, it's not healthy. But I, I also feel like everyone needs to have there's going to obviously be some point where people are going to be discontent and they have to have some negative stimulus to stimuli, even to, to get them to make a change. Um, it's just when that stimuli takes over and it becomes this and it turns into a sort of, you know, neuromania and It's like, and then you start to, you start to associate your, your character or yourself as a person with this thing. So like I'm such a bad person because I can't, because I've gained weight, or I'm such a bad person because of because I fell off my diet. I think that's where the problems start. Um, but I think that everyone needs to have some level of discontent to make a change because no one makes a change if they're happy with where they are. Like, no one is going to work to build, um, you know, to have a successful career if they already have a successful career. No one's going to want to lose back if they already have a six pack. So I think there has to be some level of discontent um, where it, it, to, to, you know, to motivate people to make a change. Um, I definitely feel like what you said is right, that it's when it turns into that self-loathing, which when it becomes dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, Georgie Fear in
0: her book, Lean Habits, which I thought was a very good book, actually. it's uh, <laughs> It looks like one of those bestseller, you know, just gimmicky stuff, but it's actually a very good book. And she talks about this, that it kind of happens in stages where at first people kind of feel like they need to hit rock bottom before they can actually make a change. Then they make a change then maybe the next stage is, okay, they mess up a little bit, but they don't quite hit rock bottom yet. And then they make a change. And over time, you kind of see like when it starts happening, like, okay, I see where this is going. I'm going to stop here and I'm not going to make a disaster out of this whole thing. And that's how you improve. So yeah. Um, so one th- one thing that um, I-, I just wanted to ask you kind of before we wrap up here is that back on, One of the initial stuff we talked about, about, you know, moderators and and restrainer people with the whole flexible dieting issue. Like when you have a client who tells you that like, look, I like cookies are a trigger food for me. I just, you know, I either don't have any or I eat the whole bag, but I really, really love cookies at the same time. Like what, what do you tell that person? Like, so do you tell them that like, you just
1: don't have cookies ever again? Or what's, what's the solution? Look, I just tell look, you have to be an adult. I don't care if you I mean it's like if you if you're coming to me and you want to make a change, is that change more important to you than eating some cookies? And it's like it's always I don't like to beat around the bush with things yeah. because I feel like it's just not needed. like I respected the person enough for them to be able to give me a, you know, an answer and they respect me more for just being faced like upfront with them. It's like, look, I know you like cookies, but at the same time you want to lose fat. You, you have this goal in mind. What's more important to you right now. And it's like, if you have a problem with restriction, then that's, that's something that you have to work out because as an adult, you have to make that choice. And again, it comes down to the whole sacrifice thing that you can't just, you know, it's like the whole, um, if I, it's like, you can't have your cake and eat it too, unfortunately. So it's like, you have to make that, that, that choice of if if it's like cookies are going to trigger you to overeat, then just don't eat cookies. Don't bring them into the house. And then, um, you know, yeah, and you have to make that decision as an adult. And I think a lot of times people feel like, well, I don't really, I want to lose fat, but I don't want to give up this food. Well, that's fine. Then don't lose fat then yeah. you know then it's, that's up, that's your choice but it's like you can't have everything and you have to be able to you have to be you know willing to make that sacrifice and be like okay look my goal right now is to lose fat and that's more important to me than me eating a pack of cookies or whatever so it's like they have to be honest with themselves and if they can't do that then they're not ready to to make that change right now that the pain of them being Um, overweight right now isn't strong enough for them to give up that pleasure of the cookies. And until the pain of them um, where they are right now doesn't outweigh the pleasure they get from eating that cookie, then they're not it's not going to work. And they have to solve that before they even decide to try and make a change.
0: Yeah, and I guess ultimately, like, in the long term, they have to kind of learn to, I mean, not like have cookies in moderation not to the point where they have it all the time but just like if they come across it then it's not an excuse to like okay that's a trigger food for me i'm gonna binge on it because i came across it so just to acknowledge like i'm not gonna keep this around it's a trigger food uh but if i do have it like i develop kind of skills to to deal with it right yeah 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 yeah. So. My very uh, last question to be, first of all, thanks so much for, for doing this. I, I really enjoyed this. I, it was, a, I, I th- it was a free-flowing, very kind of spontaneous discussion, but I think it was awesome. So first of all, thank you. and um, if you were to like look at your pet like recent couple of years, have there been any kind of habits or just kind of behavioral um, models that you adapted in your own life? that have been a big game changer for you maybe in fitness but maybe in any other areas of your life that you think is worth mentioning <laughs>
1: i always well i don't know can it be anything sure anything anything well i, I always tell people just to read more yeah that's yeah, the best advice I, I always say people like you know like youtube's fine and all this other stuff's fine but the wisdom of the ages like books have been around for ages like neil gaiman um says that you know books have been around longer than sharks and sharks have been around since like the start you know since the start of time basically so books are freaking old man it's like anyone any problem that you have right now someone's already had that problem and they've written about it i just think everyone needs to read more books that's what i want to say to people i think i think the number one habit that i have and i've had this since i was a kid so maybe i'm a bit biased but every time someone asks me anything and they say hey man what one piece of advice would you give me what i would just say, look read more just read more books read more good books and like I, I actually i don't even like using that word good books but i just feel like people just read more and it's like just you know if that's books or if that's a good blog posts or whatever the case is i think people just need to read more stuff
0: yeah yeah so that with that said uh, do you have any kind of uh books that you read uh, recently like in the past couple of years that have been very influential and that you would recommend to people
1: Ah, oh, man this is such a hard question for me because i'm looking at my bookshelf right now and <laughs> it's such a hard question um so i'll give people one nutrition related book which i think they'll really enjoy and which i really enjoyed um it's called salt sugar and fat by michael moss mm. that was a really really good book um and then Sapiens is another good one, which I think that, you know, if people listening are into fitness, it's just a history of time, a history of humankind, basically, um, which I really enjoyed. I think other people will enjoy it as well.
0: Awesome. Cool. Yeah, I, I haven't read that, actually, any of them, so, so I'll, I'll check them out for sure. Uh, cool, Adam, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, and just please plug your stuff, like where can people
1: find you and what are you up to these days? Um, so... My, I mean, all my writing is on, um, with between two places is either on, uh, physieconomics.com, um, or my Facebook page. So physieconomics is more for my long form content. I write obnoxiously long articles, um, and, uh, the Facebook page is more just sort of, you know, small tidbits, some thoughts and just anything I'm thinking about. So it's a lot more personal. Um, those are two places. I mean, I'm on Instagram. As well, but the two places people are looking for like more information and more like um, s- smart shit. <laughs> they, you know, for mm-hmm. economics, my website would be the one, and then um, the Facebook page. In regards to what I'm working on right now, I've got a few blog posts in the pipeline. Um, the psychology of fat loss that we spoke about—that's definitely one that's in the pipeline. Um, and I've got a few other bits and bobs that I've been working on that are sort of. Um, in between you know, the sort of the psychology and then more like the nutrition side of things as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I would recommend your your blog and articles to anyone. I mean, your your posts are very informative and hilarious at the same thank time. You. So awesome. <laughs>
1: thank you, thank <laughs> you. Cool, Adam. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me on.
0: Alright guys, Abel here again. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe on YouTube if you watched it there. I come out with new content every week there, whether it's in the form of a podcast episode like this, which I actually aim to do one of every week, or some shorter informational video. Also, if you could just leave a comment and suggest some people that you'd like me to interview, or just topics you'd like me to cover... Uh, it would be very helpful to know how I can better serve you. And if you listen to it in podcast format, if you could leave a rating on iTunes, it would greatly help out the show and I would be more than grateful for it. So thanks guys for hanging out up until now. Thanks for being here and see you all next week.